0: Welcome back to Team Overwind, the Cash Game. I have a very special guest, and before I introduce her. Some of our episodes have been focused on fatherhood. Kyle and I have talked about this. We're relatively new dads. We love talking about the topic because there's a whole bunch of challenges Kyle and I go through all the time. This is something that I think is going to be very important for a lot of dads. And I, Suzanne team, Aslam has come to join us today. She's written this wonderful book. I'm really curious to hear more about. Suzanne, welcome to To nobody's. Really looking forward to our discussion today.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: That's great. I don't know if you've talked to a lot of dads about about the the book that you've written, but maybe before we get into that, tell me a little bit about yourself and how many do you have how many kids do you have and and what's that been like in terms of being a new mother and tell me about that before we get into the, the essence of the book.
1: Okay. Um so I have two boys, Sammy and Ronan. They just turned 5 and 7 last month. Um okay. and uh it was really really crazy. I just I never really wanted to be a mom. I think I just Mm. always assumed I would be one because that's just what people do. I wasn't, you know, super maternal or anything to begin with. And then when I became a mom, uh, I was very shocked, physically shocked, mentally shocked, emotional. I mean, everything was just like,
0: this is the first, the first one with Sammy.
1: Yeah. The first one. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is terrible. This is terrible. Why do people do this? I didn't Mm. understand why people wanted to be a parent. I just thought it was horrible. Um, and then it turns out I had postpartum depression, and I just didn't know it because if if you if you don't know what it is, it's really hard to understand that that's what it is. You just think that being a mom is really awful. Um, and then so once I got out of it, now I'm you know obviously I'm crazy about them. I'm so in love with them, and it's yeah. so amazing. But uh, yeah, it was a rough journey to get to this point.
0: When you were when you were pregnant, were you feeling anything at that time, or was it more just after he gave birth in those early months, or?
1: That's a very, very good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. It is in the book, sort of. Um, So around eight months, I started to get really depressed. And this is all in hindsight that I'm telling you this Mm because I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. I started to get really depressed And it turns out that you can have perinatal depression, which is the depression that occurs during pregnancy. Um, And a lot of people are just like, oh, it's the hormones and oh, you're just so tired and you're eight months pregnant. Mm. And you know, like who feels good when they're eight months pregnant? Um, So, you know, I thought that that's just what it was. Um, But it turns out that my depression had started then. I just was very unaware of it.
0: Now, can if, if it starts early off like that, does it become even worse than afterwards? Do you know? Like, would it if someone didn't have that, sorry, was it do you said perinatal? Perinatal, depression? yeah. Would it, would it, if they didn't have that, would it be less intense if it, if it was postpartum or does any of that carry over, do you know?
1: I don't know. It's really, it's really hard to say because everybody's, everybody's different and then everybody bonds or doesn't bond with their child yeah. differently so I imagine that some people really struggle with perinatal depression and then they have their baby and they're holding their baby and they're doing skin- to skin contact and and it feels good and that actually really helps with the mother's emotion uh, hormones um, but that wasn't the case for me so it just got worse because I you know, when I, when I was depressed and I was just pregnant, I could just lay on the couch and be miserable and watch Mm. episodes of friends and, you know, kind of pretend to be happy. Um, but then afterwards I didn't get to do that. I had to be up in the middle of the night and changing diapers and, and, and feeding and, um, being extremely physically worn out. And, uh, that doesn't help. So for me, I mean, it definitely got worse.
0: Yeah. And so once so you said Sammy was your firstborn. Sammy, yeah. So when Sammy was first born, and what did something were the initial like was there an initial period of just a lot of joy, not necessarily feeling those effects of of, of postpartum depression? And I want to know sort of what those feelings really were like. Yeah. But was there a period there where there was like bl- like bliss, or and then it kind of maybe started to change at some point?
1: So I remember like when I had Sammy, I remember crying. You know, he was just born, they threw him on my chest
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I remember crying and I can't tell you why I cried. Did I cry because, oh my God, I have this baby and look, and he's here and he's beautiful and he's healthy or, or was I just like emotionally drained from, you know, labor? Mm-hmm. I gave birth all natural, okay, which means I felt everything. Um, and, uh, you know, was I just drained from that or was it just this rush of hormones that have left my body? I, yeah. I till now can't really tell you why I cried. I remember feeling really moved when I saw my husband hold Sammy and he cried Mm -hmm. and I was really, really touched by that. Um, But I, I was, I remember being mad at myself because I didn't, I used to tell Sammy, I love you because that's what you're supposed to do. But I was making myself do it, Mm -hmm. um, hoping that I would just like then feel it later
0: fall into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, um, and I would say like, you're so loved, you're so loved, but I, I was just, it kind of felt like putting on an act, but I needed to do it for him because my logical side was still intact and I knew I needed to like take care of him and give him love, but it felt really forced, really, really mm. forced. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I ever had like a, times where I was like, it's also, it's also depression's really weird because it's not that it's fickle. It's that like, you're not in like a constant state of sadness. So like I could laugh sometimes or he could do something cute. And you know, his first laugh, Yeah,
0: you're,
1: you go crazy when your kid laughs for the first time. How old are your kids?
0: Uh, she's, I only have a daughter and she's four.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. The first time she laughed, I mean, you just lost yeah. your mind, right? It's yeah, beautiful. Sure. Yeah. So I can have those moments where I'm seeing a cute little baby making baby noises and it's yeah. darling. Um, I didn't look at that and just like turn my head away, you know? Um, but those, those were really fleeting. And then I would just go back to being like, ugh.
0: the all natural birth. So my wife, same thing. She ended up doing it and had a water birth and I don't know what I your husband so for a water
1: birth. Uh, I tried so hard.
0: Yeah. Well, I, uh, well, I won't get into the, <laughs> my wife's birth story. I'm very open this way, but I gotta be careful. Um, but I don't know what your husband felt, but I just, just watching my wife go through, I will never forget that the the amount of love and compassion I have for her, before and then after is just at another level. Um, and and it was just incredible. And I remember her having similar reactions, like just crying immediately. I don't know if it was for exactly for what reasons, I but know. I do remember that, too. Um, what The the feelings of like when you did have those down moments was there a certain time of the day that you typically would feel that like was it when you were like by yourself or like in the nighttime or like when I love your
1: questions I love your questions you are asking such like perfect questions yes okay so there's something called witching hour
0: okay I have no idea what that means. okay
1: okay so witching hour which is an annoying term because it is not an hour um it's usually like as the sun is setting. I don't know why, but your kid turns into a werewolf and like, just as soon as the sun sets, he like instantly just turns. And so around like five o'clock it's, uh, which I guess in Phoenix in the summertime, the sun wasn't setting then, but it was usually around that time, around five o'clock and he would just start to wail for no reason. He was fed. He was bathed. He was changed. He was full. He was, we were playing, he was stimulated. He was understimulated, He was like, like, I tried everything and there's nothing and he just loses his mind. And, um, I used to start to dread it. And so my, my postpartum was also mixed with anxiety, which was Mm -hmm. really fun. So, and those are two separate beasts that sometimes would come together. Um, but my anxiety would start to flare up like 30 minutes before. And I didn't even realize that was happening. Um, but I would start to get really anxious and then witching hour would happen because he had like trained me you know, like, Oh, every day at five o'clock, I'm going to lose my shit. So I would start (laughs) to like brace myself for it and prepare. So that was, yeah, that was a really, really hard time of day. And then, so, you know, it's coming and your body just starts to get like really heavy because you know, like, Oh, I'm about to walk into a storm and I can't, I am not ready. I can't do this. I don't want to do this, but I don't have a choice. So here we go. Um, so those were moments where like the depression and the anxiety intermingled and Mm. it was really, really hard
0: that's interesting you talk about this yeah that build up knowing that that time was coming so i think it's safe for me to talk about my wife in this way and that for her going to bed like knowing that it could have been a challenge about what that's going to look like i know there was a lot of anxiety for her when approaching bedtime and what that was going to look like and it i remember her feeling very very anxious about it and fear would creep in and, and about that time it was just sad because it was you know I, I would always get up with her especially in those early times like it was just that sharing experience never wanted her to be alone but i didn't feel that like and and, and but she felt that very strongly of like okay it's time for bed and so that's that's interesting that this hour it was triggering for you too
1: yeah i think it's pretty normal i think we all feel it we just don't really know how to um interpret it or really of label it Mm. is what it is like oh this is what's happening and this is why yeah yeah
0: and in your husband what was was he seeing any changes in you or like was that a conversation some point later where you were like you became aware of something was different here and then you were voicing it, or did he kind of notice that in you
1: he kind of lost me like he'd look at me and i know he was looking at me and i felt like he was like trying to find find me Mm. Um, and I was just not there. I don't like whoever this was, was Mm -hmm. not the woman that he married. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he had a really hard time with it because I've always been, this is just my personality. I'm sort of like a, I'm not a very confrontational person. Mm -hmm. And I get really upset. Like if you're like, Hey, you know, so you did this thing and I'm like, "I, I really, I need you to not do that. Like, I just like I get really anxious and I want to throw up and I like, I just can't handle when like, which is funny because I used to be an actor. So like Mm -hmm. I had to deal with criticism or, um, but I, anyway, so like somebody close to me, like my husband, he couldn't be open with me in that way. And that's something that we've worked on in our marriage Mm -hmm. where I'm like, just more open to constructive criticism, you know, like we're partners. And sometimes I do things that aren't maybe what he would need. And so I need to like, I need to work on that. So, but this was not the time for me to be working on that. So he's, he saw my behavior and he would actually stay home from work and work from home in his little home office because he wanted to keep an eye on me. Mm. And he didn't tell me this until later that that's what he was doing, but he was watching me because he was afraid for me and he was afraid for the baby, but he couldn't come out and say, Hey, I think you're a little off your rocker, you know, so I'm, I need to keep an eye. Like, he's not going to say that cause he's going to rock the boat. Um, but yeah, he was really concerned and just, kind of kept a little eye on me sometimes. When, I was having like really bad days.
0: When did you find that out? Like, when did you find out that he, this is the approach that he was taking?
1: Way later when I was better.
0: Okay. And if you, yeah. if you, you felt that if you would have been more open about that early on, that, that probably wouldn't have sit well. Look, when you're a mom,
1: there's no classes. They just expect that you are born to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And so you should just know what to do. And so if people are coming at me, trying to tell me that like, what I'm doing, isn't working or what I'm doing is wrong or, Hey, you're not like, I don't like the way you're handling the child or like, you're getting upset for no reason. Like I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be like a goddess of a mother because that's what, like how we're perceived, you know? And so for him to, had he come to me and been like, like, I don't like what's happening here. I would not have taken that well, because that means I was failing at the one thing that I'm supposed to be doing and be doing well, you know? That, and like, what harder job is there than raising a child and raising him well? Like, this is the hardest job I'll ever have, right? It's the most important job I'll ever have is raising my kids and making sure they grow up to be healthy and safe and, and good people. And if I'm fucking that up from an early age, sorry. No, I'm not yeah, you good, good. <laughs> Uh, if I'm if I'm fucking up at this early stages, which we know are so so important, mm-hmm. um, what does that say about me? Mm-hmm. You know, and so like you know, you just put all that pressure on yourself and and to have it's hard. somebody
0: add to that, just wouldn't, yeah, that's I, I mean the, this is this is what I want to also talk to you about is is the support that um, husbands and, and partners can have in these kind of moments and and really what is yeah. appropriate because um, yeah, I mean I've heard that from my wife and from other uh, friends of mine too, who, that, that feeling of, Oh, I I need to, I, I should know what I'm doing. Right. And really internalizing that to the point of where it's, it's not helping themselves or helping anybody in this situation. Um, and yeah, to have somebody else mixed in the situation, whether it be a partner or in-laws or, or your parents or whoever it is, that could be, I can't imagine how, how tough that would be for a mother.
1: Yeah, it was really, it was really weird. Um, Like, even I remember when my midwife was, I was starting to push Mm. and she'd be like, okay, bear down. And I didn't know what that meant. Mm. And then she would have to tell me when to push. And I remember getting mad that I didn't know what bear down meant. So then I felt stupid in that moment that I'd like, I never heard that expression Mm. before. Um, and then I didn't even know when to push. Like my, why does my body not know what to do? Isn't this what it's made Mm -hmm. for? And then I couldn't even do the most basic thing. Like you hear these crazy stories about like women giving birth in their car (laughs) because they just felt the need to push on the way to the hospital and they didn't make it in time. Um, And I'm like, okay, but why can't I do that? Like, why am I not, why don't I even like feel like the physical need to push? Mm -hmm. That really messed with my Mm -hmm. head. And so I'm like, great. Like even from the get-go, I had no instincts of motherhood. And then that really messed with me because I'm like, clearly, I don't know what I'm doing and I shouldn't be doing this, you know? So yeah, it's, it's really hard that like, I felt like biology was failing me.
0: Even the push, like it takes a, like it does, the baby does not move at all. Like it it takes a lot for the, just those little centimeters at a time for that baby to come out. Like, that's what I was very surprised with was my wife was pushing pretty hard. And and I, I remember there were times where she's pushing and she's like, how's it like asking me how is it looking and I said you know it's I didn't know what to tell her because I was like well things are really moving but she's pushing so hard right and uh,
1: there was this really cute moment between my midwife and my mom when it was like finally happening and I was really pushing and you could see his head and my mom trying to be encouraging would be like he's here he's here (laughs) And then the midwife would be like, he's not here. Keep pushing. And then, you know, you'd see a little bit more Sammy and, you know, he's here. He's here. He's not here. Keep pushing. And they would like, they were like fighting with each other. My mom was trying to be encouraging, but my midwife didn't want me to be like, oh, he's here. I should stop. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was so slow. And my mom was just trying so hard to be like, you're doing well. He's here. He's coming. Um, yeah, it was just funny. Yeah. It was funny to like watch him fight while I was pushing. Yeah,
0: that's we we had a doula, and I think the doula played a really good role. Like, well, no one else was in the room except myself and my wife, but uh, she was good at kind of keeping me at bay, um, to man- mm. managing my emotions. I would recommend that for any potential dad is to have a doula if they, if they can make it work because uh, she was fantastic at managing my emotions and helping me understand sort of the what's supposed to be happening and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. If I didn't have like if I'd given birth, did she give birth at a hospital? No, it was a
0: birthing center.
1: Oh, okay, okay, so same here. I I didn't feel the need for a doula mm-hmm. because we had midwives who were like, they kind of like understood that whole thing. They sort of acted like doulas. Like yeah. I remember him, uh, her telling Kasem, Kasem's okay. my husband, um, telling him, you know, he'd be like, "What do you want to like?" You know, in between contractions, he'd be like, "Do you want to go sit down here?" Mm-hmm. And she would say don't ask her, like she can't make decisions right now. So you just like move her. And if she's not comfortable with that, she'll let you Mm -hmm. know, but you can't ask her to like, come up with like, okay, I think I want to try this Mm -hmm. now, you know? Um, so I felt like she sort of acted like a doula in that regard where she just like gave, and then she kicked my mom out of the room once because my mom was crying a lot. Um, because my mom hated seeing me in pain. And so she's like, go and compose yourself and come back. Like she needs you to be really strong right now, you know? so i felt like she sort of played that role she, too.
0: she did that mm-hmm. yeah okay interesting yeah because the way they described it to us was um at least the midwife described it to us was she's she's going to be focused on michelle sort of like you know bottom down kind of thing and the dual right. will support everything else including my wife but also also me and so so that way the midwife could just focus on really what needs to happen so um Yeah, I, I guess I'm sure they had the capacity to play that doula role, but they just, they encouraged yeah. us to have a second. If I were
1: in a hospital, um, doulas are like, cause they're like an ambassador for you, especially yeah. in hospitals who want to like give right. you the drugs and take right. the epidural. And, but like, you kind of have this idea of what you want to do. It's really, and you're scared. You've yeah. never had a kid before and you're watching your wife in pain. So it's really nice to have a doula to be like level-headed and objective and, um, you know, just be like, this is what they want. Um, I think, I think there's such a, what a cool career mm-hmm. to have.
0: For you, for both of your uh, boys, were they natural births? And what was mm-hmm. the driver for you to do that?
1: Um, uh, two things. One, I just felt like every woman since the beginning of time gave birth naturally. And if I'm healthy, there's no reason mm-hmm. that I can't. But I knew if I'd put myself in the situation, like if I were at a hospital, I'd totally cave. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, when I was uh, contracting, I remember thinking like, God, please let there be something wrong so I can go to the hospital and get an epidural. Like I just wanted something to be wrong with me just Mm -hmm. enough so I could go to the hospital and make that happen. Um, But I put myself in a situation where I, you know, Mm -hmm. I couldn't. Um, And then secondly, I just didn't like the idea. And you know, my sister had an epidural and it's fine and her baby's healthy, but I just didn't like the idea of like putting drugs into my body. And I'd spent so much time like organic right. eating right. and, you know, right. and all that stuff. And then like putting drugs in, like, just as he's on yeah. his way out, just didn't really s- yeah. feel comfortable to me and feel right yeah. to me. Um, so I just, I opted to not yeah. do that.
0: Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I don't know if other people have asked you about more about your birth story than probably I have. I'm not sure, but, uh, I, appreciate, <laughs> uh, some of I think it just gives people some context to, um, on Uh, how people make decisions so i appreciate that um your book i mean i i I looked on uh, and i know i see it on amazon i don't know where else uh Mm -hmm. folks can find it but the reviews people are really grabbing to it like people seem to really appreciate the story and um i was reading a few and they were saying "I, i wish i had read this earlier like i read one that said 25 years ago had i known this information this would have been amazing like how are you yeah. feeling about the responses that you're getting and then, and maybe tell, um, uh, the listeners just the basis of the book and how you came to it.
1: Okay. So I have to actually look at the title every time because it's long. So it's called postpartum yeah. me, but then it's a fickle woman's spiral into postpartum depression and anxiety and how the hell she found her way out of it, sort of. And the reason I did it that way, it's a dark comedy and it's all in the form of journal entries. Um, and the reason I did it in the form of journal entries is because I, like my depression was in the form of, I did not like my child and I felt that he had ruined my mm. life and you cannot go around mm. saying that you can't tell people my child ruined my life. That makes you a very bad person. So, but those were the thoughts that I was having and I felt very yeah. judged for them, obviously. Um, like judged so by others, I wanted...
0: sorry, or you, your own self judgment. Both. Oh, okay. Both.
1: Uh huh. So, um, cause I'd like try to talk to other moms about it and they'd be like, I'm just so depressed that I have to leave my baby and go back to work. And I was like, you know, and I'd like get really annoyed. I'd like, just take mm. my baby, you know, mm. I'll go to work for you. Um, so I, I did it in the form of journal entries, So it can be really unfiltered. So I could give you inside access into my thoughts of a woman who's depressed and anxious and struggling and spiraling and like in half the book, you don't even know that I don't even know that I have it. So you get to like, watch me figure it out. And, um, so I did it that way. So it was like completely like all access unfiltered. I can say what I wanted to say and not feel judged for it. And I think that's what a lot of the moms resonated with when they read the book is that they're just like, Oh my God, like, even if it wasn't that they disliked their child, but they were like, yeah, I've totally had those feelings, but I felt bad. So I didn't say those out loud. So this was me just like giving people the opportunity to like I just wanted to hold their hand. I'm not, there's no medical advice in this book. It's a dark comedy. Like I try to make people laugh a little bit, um, because you know, laughter is medicine and if you're depressed and you're reading it, I don't want you to finish the book and be more depressed. So, um, yeah. So there's chapters where I'm like, he laughed today. Oh my God. He's so darling. And then the next one's like, I hate my life, you know, because that's sort of the way it, it ebbs and flows. Um, and so I just think like the rawness and the realness and the unfilteredness, if that's a word, um, of it just resonates with people. I'm like, I'm not trying to be yeah. PC about yeah. it or anything. Did you, know?
0: you um, since it's raw and unfiltered, I, did you, were you did you, it probably wasn't the intention, but did you fold in any kind of research or anything that you had maybe learned along the way? Or uh, was this like, so, so? or I guess another question is, these journals were in real time, so you were journaling actually or is this afterwards?
1: No, that's where the fun for me came in. So first of all, to answer your first question, I didn't know that I had perinatal depression until I was doing my research and I was writing the chapter on when I got really sad in my eight month. And, and then so I started doing research and I realized like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know that just because you, you have a kid doesn't mean you know everything there is about like all that stuff. So I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that that's what that was. So that was kind of a cool discovery, um, and then uh, what was your second question? I'm I, so sorry. I,
0: <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> That's okay. What I, I was actually going to also just ask though around depression itself, like peri and and now postpartum depression, is depression depression, or is there is it some there is there something different happening in the brain in in the situation that you would have faced compared to somebody else who may be depressed for other reasons for instance do you know
1: so this was hard for me because i never been depressed before i never dealt with any mental health issues before which was a big reason why i didn't know Mm. that i had it because i had nothing to compare it to and then i became depressed at the exact same time i became a mother so I just sort of like correlation is causation in this regard. And I was like, Oh, I feel bad because I'm a mom now and being a mom sucks. So I didn't realize that that's what it was. And I never had anything to compare it to. Um, I do have friends that struggle with depression. So, you know, I would talk about it with them and they're the ones that sort of helped me realize that there must be something a little more to it than just struggling Mm -hmm. with motherhood because they would be like, This sounds a lot like what I'm going through, except I don't have a baby to take care Mm. of on top of it. So, um, like just the darkness, just, you know, people, have you, are you, do you like Harry Potter?
0: I had not read any of them yet.
1: Have you read, have you watched the movies?
0: No, I, I will admit that fantasy is something that I generally don't steer towards. So yeah, please don't Uh, let me ruin that story, whatever. No, that's okay. It's
1: like, I got my little Potter heads right here. Um, But the reason I bring it up is because uh, JK Rowling does such a great job describing depression in the form of these characters called Dementors Mm. and that started off in book three. And um, they are these like cloaked figures Mm. who guard the wizarding prison and you can't see their faces and they don't kill you. That's not what they do. They come close to you and they actually start breathing in. And when they breathe in, they suck all of the joy out of you. And in order to combat them, you have to have a spell and the, but the spell is very mental. So you have to think, you have to conjure up the happiest time you've ever had, and then say the spell with that image in mind, because the point is, is to counter it. So, so they suck the joy out of you. And if they kiss you, what that means is they've literally taken your, it's basically like they've taken your soul. Like they take all the joy out of you and you're just sort of a shell of a a Mm -hmm. human and you can't, think of happy things. You can't feel joy. You're just, you're just, you're just numb. And that for me was the best example I could find to describe the way depression felt as this was supposed to be a really happy time in my life. And I couldn't conjure up anything of value and of joy in this time. I couldn't think of one reason to be happy. And my body felt really, really, really heavy And like, they had just sucked everything away Mm. from me and I was just left with nothing. And that's, that's just, it was just such a beautiful picture. And I just kind of felt like (laughs) I'm not going to try to rewrite it. So I'm just going to say, it felt like having a Dementor suck the joy out of you and hope that people understand what that means. Um, yeah, that's, that's how it felt. And to have to contend with that and then take care of a baby. So my friends who were kind of talking me through it at the beginning, were like, oh no, that's how it feels. But then we also don't have children. So I started to sort of learn like, okay, so I've watched you guys be depressed and I've watched like how dark things get, but I never really made the connection for myself because it's not something that I ever struggled with before. This was a whole new beast, you know? Um, And if you don't have like the words for it, and I don't want to like need to label everything, but I guess in this case, like I just didn't know that this was even an option for me.
0: Yeah when you were talking to because it sounds like you did when you talk to other moms who may have suffered from postpartum depression or or perinatal depression were they would would some of them try to normalize it in the sense of like oh this is just this is what you're feeling is just kind of normal and you'll get through it or like trying to diminish maybe what you were actually going through in any way and or and was there in your mind at some point was there a realization that no, this is something. Uh, this is something different. This is not normal. um Or yeah, I don't know what, how you interpret that. Times
1: that it, I felt like very like that I wasn't getting validated in that regard, that my feelings were being dismissed, was when I would say, "This is so hard. I hate this. I feel like I'm just I'm trying to wake up from a bad dream." And then mm. people would go, "No, thank God he's healthy. Enjoy every minute. It goes by fast." And I'm like, you want me to enjoy this? Are you, cra- Are you not hearing me? I hate this. Like, mm. how am I supposed to find joy in this? It's awful. I'm in physical pain. I haven't slept. I can't think straight. I'm in a fog. Like, How is this something I'm supposed to enjoy? It goes by fast like that. And I remember just like, they would just dismiss it. And then I get really angry. Cause I'm mm. like, you don't understand. You don't understand me. And then I just kind of like isolated myself more and more because nobody got it. And that was, that was really frustrating.
0: Yeah. And you know what, I'll, I'll share something. And maybe it's this, I feel like it could be not to create uh, find some similarity in your story and what I'm about to tell you. But I had a similar feeling when my dad died five years ago and when he told me when um, when people would try to relate to me and say, oh, yeah, my dad died, too. And I, I know what you're feeling like. I'm like, no, you don't like that relationship between my dad. You don't understand that relationship. I don't understand the relationship that you had with your dad when people yeah. tried to connect to me at that level. I actually felt like I wanted to push them away. Like I didn't want to be close to them. And so, What
1: would you have what would you have wanted them to say? Do you know or do in, you just know that, yeah, that didn't that's
0: help? a great question because I think before I'm somebody who tries to uh, show and convey a lot of empathy and so I would have yeah. tried to sit with them in that moment, but I think I would have tried to um, yeah, just cont- just just say oh i understand or or these kind of things because i feel like building that connection would be supportive but after when my dad died i just i think i just wanted a simple a simple uh thing would have been like you know uh, my sincere condolences or i'm sorry and just that's it like i don't need Mm. to hear the extra bit of like yeah you know losing a dad or a parent is so hard i remember what it was like and Mm-hmm. like people try to do that obviously because they try to connect and they're coming from a good right. place but i just didn't want to hear that because for me it's like no you don't know what i lost right and yeah. and i and, be- and before i would have thought i would have thought making that connection was so important but actually i didn't want people to make that connection i just wanted i didn't need anything i just if people acknowledged the loss that would have been simple enough for me and it would have been sufficient so interesting. yeah
1: yeah we always do try that don't we we always say like I can't imagine what you're going yeah. through because instantly you're like, you want to imagine it. You want to have that empathy, but for, you know, you can't, I haven't lost my dad yet. Yeah. So my response would be, I can't imagine what you're going through. Um,
0: and I think that's, I, I think re- that's okay. It's just when people try to say that they also understand, or they try mm-hmm. to project themselves and trying to understand mm-hmm. what it feels like. I think that's the part I had a challenge with. Um, and I used to do that. I always used to do that because yeah. I thought that it was a way of, really again building that connection but i now i never do that i'll just say i'm sorry for your loss and or my condolences and just keep it at that and um, Mm -hmm. i guess that's my weird way of trying to connect in because i know what the (laughs) feeling is so that's kind of backwards too but um yeah i don't know but i guess i was just thinking about um when people were trying to relate to your situation I was thinking about that. That was what's going through my head.
1: I think there's a lot, and I actually have a chapter in the book about this. I call it, the chapter's called Great Scott, and I don't know if a lot of people get it, but it's a reference to Back to the Future because mm. you know, it, like the time machine. Um, I think that there's so many people, and I, your, your baby's still, I mean, she's only four, so I don't know if you experienced this yet, but there's so many people who like, their kids are in college now, mm. and they are like desperate to go back in time and have those moments that they used to think were hard. And now they're like, I would give anything to you know, be living in the chaos of diapers and bottles. And, and I haven't brushed my teeth in three days. And like, you know, and um, there's like, just so much like painful nostalgia about the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. Like, what did I miss out on? And did I not give my baby enough time? And oh, I wish I could have, and so there's just a lot of like, I am desperate to tell you because you don't understand, you will look back at this time and wish you had more of it. You don't understand. And it's sort of like a rite of passage because I just don't think that the parents really truly in the trenches at that time do understand. And I don't think that you're in a place where you get to like just carry over that wisdom and be like, you know what? I am gonna try to enjoy every (laughs) moment. Because no, like you are up to your knees in diapers and you haven't slept in days and you haven't brushed your teeth in how long. So like, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, the cliche is true, But you can't, you can't learn from it.
0: Well, you're just surviving in that that. moment, right? Like, how could you have Mm -hmm. any capacity to think about, you know, what this would, how I'm going to reflect on this in the future? Like that's
1: no, it's impossible. It's a big ask. It's a big ask. So I don't tell people that kind of to your point with like what you learned about your dad and how you don't tell people, oh, I lost my dad. So I know what you're going through. I will never say just enjoy it. It goes by fast. I hate that phrase so (laughs) much it's so invalidating yeah. to the way you're feeling right yeah, now Yeah, it
0: dismisses all those true those are true emotions there's nothing wrong with that right
1: yeah
0: yeah uh you so your husband in supporting you through this and it, like at what point did for you was there i don't know if healing is the right word suzanne but like what what place did you uh, what point did you start to you know did you did the depression start to alleviate i guess
1: Okay, so to the point of my husband, which is one of the reasons I, you know, I reached yeah. out to you guys, because I really do think, and Kasim did everything that he knew and that he could, but he wasn't in possession with enough information, and so the best person to help a mom is the, you know, your partner, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the guys just don't know what to do, and then they want to, like, bury themselves in their work, because that's how you support the, the, your family, and that's great. But there's so much emotional support that we need, and we don't even know how to ask for it. So, Kasem um, did what he could, but again, like I didn't—I also wasn't sharing with him mm. what was going on in my own head.
0: And is that sorry? So really quick question on that: Is are were you someone who would typically share? Like you were very community? Okay, all right.
1: No, I'm I'm very uh, suffer in silence sort of okay. a person. I'm getting better. Okay. I'm really working hard on it but yeah, I'm a suffer in silence sort of person and I can take it. And, um, so, and again, because I thought that this was just motherhood, like, what is there to complain about? I'm a mom Mm. now and this sucks. So there's really nothing to, so I didn't really like, yeah, I would say like, I hate this and I'm so tired, but I wasn't like really explaining like what was going on deep down. Um, and then when I found out I was depressed, I didn't tell him right away. And so he was still like, he'd get mad at me about the way I was acting and the way I was treating the baby. And, and then, but he didn't want to like actually get mad at me. So he wouldn't say anything and then he would harbor resentment and I would harbor resentment and then he'd be away. And then he got to, why did he get to like live his life? Like, mm-hmm. why would he get to like go and have coffee meetings on a Saturday morning? And I just had to sit here by myself, you know, isolated and in jail. And, um, so I would like resent him for having a normal life when I wasn't allowed one. So it was just like all this like stuff was just building up. It was awful. Um, then i told him i was depressed and then he was like well this explains Mm. a lot and then and then it was something that we could like work on together because we actually had like like a something that we could fight that was sort of not outward but it was like okay we both know that there's this thing Mm. that we need to like attack and figure out how to help you so there were things that he did like you know when you ask like if I just saw you randomly and you looked a little off, I'd be like, oh, are you okay? And your response would be, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm all right. And then I'm like, okay. Like I did my, I did my mm-hmm. duty as a human and I asked if you were all right. Um, but it was like, I didn't really mean it. And then your answer, you didn't mm-hmm. really mean it. You just wanted yeah. to like move yeah. on. So he really started to ask me if I was mm-hmm. okay. and Really listened. And then he gave me a safe space to tell him that I was not okay or that I needed a break and I needed to not be near my baby right now.
0: Huge. It's so
1: simple, but it was huge. Cause he stopped. Ooh, my light fell. Um, he stopped resenting Hmm. me and realized that like I was just sick. Um, and it wasn't my fault. So, so that was like, that was such a big deal. Um, and then he gave me the space that I needed. And we, like, we even came up with a schedule. Like he would, he'd start to come home earlier in the day. He runs his own company. Hmm. So, um, which means he can't just like clock out at five. So he'd start to come home at a decent time. Um, He would give me breaks like consistently, like every Sunday morning was my time. He'd take the baby, I'd feed him and then I'd leave. And then I'd go like sit in the coffee shop with one of my fantasy books that you don't like. Um, And I would just sit there and you know, like get lost in my Mm -hmm. fantasy world. Um, And that's what I needed. And then I could come back and usually be okay. Uh, And then if I ever had like an episode, then he was he was with me, and we were like doing it together, mm-hmm. and we were fighting this thing together. You know, um, yeah.
0: That that safe space that you speak of. I, I, I would imagine there are a lot of dads who, I, I would say for myself too. I think that's a huge huge thing. If I, I think that I would I would need that, um, in order to feel like I could actually approach my partner in a way that is helpful, right? Because even if I had all the intentions in the world to try to communicate that and really like not just have those pass by conversations but a- to actually dig yes. in if that if my partner is not ready and not there um i don't know yeah. if that's really going to go anywhere and so i almost feel like i'm not saying there's like step 1 create safe space but i feel like that is probably an, a really important thing that needs to happen for those conversations to actually move forward in some some good way
1: I always felt really really guilty because i have a very good life and my parents are mm. immigrants so i know i know what life could have been like had had they not mm. come here um my parents are palestinian mm. and so like that's mm. not an easy life to have you know and um like my mom was jailed when she was mm. 12 and, and like, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. And my family right now doesn't always have access to water and whatever. Anyway, it's just, re- it's a really hard life. And I know this, I've been there and I'm so grateful for what I have. And I live in Scottsdale, mm. which is a um. it's in Phoenix. And it's like, it's like a resort town, truly. Like I'm surrounded by huge, massive resorts and golf courses and the, the Phoenix mm. open and Barrett Jackson, which is like this crazy car show here. And so it's like really like, it's really nice. And so I have this really great life. I'm safe. I have access to clean water. Um, my husband makes enough money that I didn't have to work and I could stay home with the baby. And like, I made that choice. Cause logically I was like, this is the decision I want. I want to stay home with the baby, but then I hated every minute of it. But I had a really hard time because I felt like I was just complaining and bitching And I didn't want to do that because I knew how good my life was. And I wasn't reconciling that with the fact that this was like a mental health issue, you know? And I just was like, oh my God, you're being such a baby, you know? And that was something where I, like, I struggled internally. I'd have like internal dialogue with Mm -hmm. myself where I'd be like, you're fine, shut up. And then the other parts of me like, no, like I'm drowning. I hate this. Something's wrong. Like, you're fine, shut up. So that was really, really hard because... I just, I just know what real struggle is. And I felt like I wasn't experiencing that. So I was also kind of disparaging my own feelings.
0: There's in, Mm -hmm. when I, when I went through therapy for, after my dad died and I um, went through something called the grief recovery method. And I I Mm -hmm. imagine, you know, uh, other ways of dealing with grief, they probably talk about this, but one of the myths that really stood out for me was about being strong. We do this all, everyone does this right in situations, right? When, when my dad was in the hospital and I had to be strong for my mother or, or afterwards just feeling Mm -hmm. like I had to be uh, resolute and resolved and all these sort of things. And it wasn't until, um, after my daughter was born, I was not feeling happy. I was not, uh, Mm -hmm. I I would, I would hold her. I would, you know, I had those same kind of moments like you said, like you have those like, ah, this is amazing. But then there was a part of me that was not there. And it was because I was grieving for my dad and I realized when I went mm-hmm. through therapy and they were talking about like being strong is not really a thing because it dismisses those true feelings that you have. When I started to realize that and started to just embrace all the emotions that were going in and out, that's when the healing for me really started. And so it's, yeah, it's just interesting wow. that you're the way you're, you're describing that. And um, yeah, just that, like you said, you're knowing where your family came from and and the struggles that they went through and the life that you're living and it's like well i have this amazing life like who am i to complain about this but no these are just natural human feelings and you're allowed to have them it doesn't matter whether you're in scottsdale or whether you're in in palestine right and and we all do that and and so for me that was a huge pivot i was like okay now i need to i that be strong thing i just need to let whatever emotions come into me, just let them come in, run through, run their course, and then let them leave. And for me, I've found that to be, um, has built up more resilience than anything.
1: That's so beautiful. It's such a hard thing for us to understand that we're allowed to have feelings. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember like saying my grandfather wasn't an emotional person. And and then I, I realized later that, oh, he is, he's just really angry. He's like a very angry person, but I dismiss that as being emotion, as not being emotional, because to me, emotional is like right. weepy and sad and whatever. But like anger is an emotion, but we don't really talk about it as if it were one. I, I, I like we just don't want to like be yeah. sad all the time. And I think that that's the thing that like we're very scared of feeling, like because most people who feel who feel angry, it's sort of a cover up mm. for being sad. Um, you hurt, you hurt me. So instead of me being sad about it, I'm just mm. going to be mad at you. So, so we're like constantly trying to cover up sadness. And for some reason we've decided that sadness is the enemy, not anger, sadness. And we don't know how to work through it. So we just suppress yeah. that and anger's okay. Anger's okay. Like we can, we can handle anger and it's more temporary because you can have like a big explosion and then it'll go away, but yeah. then you're still sad. And so sadness is the thing that we just seem to be really afraid of tackling because then it it makes you have to ask questions hard, that are hard really work, deep for sure. And they're so they're yeah. so scary. It's so scary to really like go that yeah. far in and ask those hard questions. I'd rather just be mad at yeah. you. Yeah,
0: it's easy, right? Yeah,
1: easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there
0: any sort of cultural uh, influence on how you perceive this for yourself or how you manage through postpartum depression?
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot of guilt and shame in in like there's like one way that Arab women are supposed to be and um most of them are very maternal Mm. people and you know like the whole like it's I know it sounds cliche but unfortunately it is like you're like barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and like that's your role and I was sort of living into that role but I didn't like it and um I had a really, I had a really hard time because like all of the, like my aunts and my grandmas, and my mom, like, they're all very like, this is my job and I'm really good at it. And then I just wasn't, I didn't like it. And, um, it, it just felt like, I just felt like I sort of wasn't doing like
0: mm. the
1: good Arab girl thing, or at least not doing it well. Um, and that, that was, that was a bit of a struggle. And then I also struggled with like, cause there's so much of our culture that's very, um, mm. I don't like and, and, and the values don't align with me mm. here as an American. And there's so much mm. of it that I do love. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, but there's so much of it that I don't. And so I, one of the, my bigger struggles was like, oh, I'm a mom now. And it's my job to pass on my culture to my kids. What does that look like for me as like, a first-generation right. American, as somebody who's decided that I'm not going to allow this and this and this into my life and like let that like control me? but what about all the really beautiful things about my culture mm-hmm. that are so incredible that Sammy and Ronan don't get to see because i like it's a hard it's hard it's a balancing act when you're an immigrant kid it's just really 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 hard um and i'm still i'm yeah, still Yeah and, and i i will say I
0: uh, for me too i mean my family grew up in uh we're east indian and um there are parts of it that i you know i was born in canada but uh um there are parts of it that i love but there are parts of it that i push away because i find very ugly and and i think about those things as i raise yeah. my daughter avina on how to yeah, yeah and my wife daughter. she's she's not east indian she's she's white and she's half scottish half german and so there's not she's not bringing that aspect into things right she's not bringing she not she's learning at the same time avina's learning right and so um those thoughts are always going through your mind and then there's and then, yeah, the the culture, folks in the culture, can kind of shame you for not uh, applying certain things that you know that maybe you should have. Or so I just push it all away. And
1: oh my god, I didn't. So we're we're Christian mm. Palestinians, and I didn't baptize mm. my babies.
0: <sighs>
1: they are so right, worried right. for my baby's souls. They're just appreciate like, the concern. They're so right? they're so concerned. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> it's, it's so nice of you. Um, yeah, it's really funny that yeah. I was like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, just do it. Right. Like, it's just tradition. Like, you don't have to believe it. Just do it. And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, but so here's the weird part. I used to be really religious and then I shunned it. And then I was like, no religion, it's all bad. And then now I have kids who are like finally mm. kind of coming of age. And I'm like, what am I going to give them? Like what? Cause your culture is so our culture mm. and our religion are really, really intertwined. So I'm like like what am mm. I going to pass on to them? I have nothing if I'm just going to like shun all of it. And I can't say that all of it's bad. So now I'm sort of in this new place and I think a lot of people have to do this. Like you have to go to the extreme and like just kind of like mm. reassess and mm. then you sort of go back and you're like, "Okay, there's parts of my religion and parts of my culture that are really beautiful and that's what I want my kids to have." So like I like I took my kids to um our cousin's baptism. She got baptized. I don't want my kids to get baptized as a baby, but I would, but I was like, you need to go and see and ask the questions. Like, you know, they were like, why is he doing this? I'm like, that's a great question. Go (laughs) ask the priest. I don't know. Um, And so I really, really liked that. I was like at least exposing them and giving them the opportunity to ask questions. And so that's kind of where I am right now. We're like, I want to take him to church, um, to the Greek Orthodox church, like on Christmas and Easter. And I want to take them to the baptisms and I want to take them to the parties and whatever, just so they can like see it. And then they can come up with their own conclusions about about it all. But it was like it's really wrong of me to like to not expose them at all because I have my own. Yeah, ups, it, that's interesting.
0: I, I also I also struggle with those, Like, like there, there's it seems it's funny how there's this, like ingrained need that we have to showcase something though, or we have to like promote or raise awareness about this right like it's there's like this duty like uh, this cultural duty i don't know where that comes from because i think that that's a bit erroneous as well right i think like if you want to yeah great and they should be exposed to it and learn it and and but i mean am i really the best person to to describe east indian culture since i have some of my some riffs with it at times you know i don't know but um i i I try to be as open as possible to questions and that sort of thing. And I do feel like there are some things I do want to share, but it's just funny how we feel like there's this desire, this need to have to do these things. I don't know.
1: Don't you feel like it's so, like, I don't want to be cultureless and I don't want to just fall into like just American culture or Canadian culture, which is, and I don't mean this ethnically, but like just whitewashed where it's like, like we're all just the same. And then I don't have anything of my own. And so there's a part of me that's like afraid, like, oh my God, my kids aren't going to know Arabic very well. Mm. And that like really, really messes with me. And there's this fear of like, just losing it, just losing our culture completely and just not having like a foundation of who we are. And so, yeah, for me, it's rooted Mm. in fear. And I think it's like a healthy fear because I am really proud of who I am and I want my kids to be proud too. Um, I don't want them to be like ashamed of being Palestinian or like, Cause it is, it's, it's a bit of a mantle that you Mm. carry being Palestinian Sure. because everybody has an opinion about our existence. Like our very existence is questioned. So it's a really hard thing to be. Um, But I want them to be proud of that, you know? So for me, it's just like, I don't know. I think it just makes, it makes me a stronger person when I realize like how proud I am to be who I am. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. yeah that makes sense to me like the way you've described it for yourself um i don't i don't know if i feel that way i think for me anyways because uh, i just want to give her exposure that there are all kinds of humans on this planet and they have all different kinds of backgrounds and you are yourself a mutt of various different cultures and 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 just exposure to that but i don't want it to be so focused like i don't feel like there's a loss to be honest i think that um I think she'll have questions in the future about like, what is it, what is India like? What is, what is East? What, how did you grow up? All these sort of things. I'm happy to give those, those, those.
1: Will you take her there?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think there's there's family there. Right. And I want her to meet those folks, but I don't, it was forced on me, and I think that's the the resistance. Uh, uh, I don't want to do that, and I I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's also part of the reason why I resist I've resisted the culture is because it was very much pushed on me, and so um, I don't want to do that. Like I, I think that um, I just want her to be curious and open open minded and mindful of, of, of all kinds of things. And I think I think she'll be fine. I think that, um, and I think also within, um, it's probably the same thing in in the U.S. But Canada you know while we call ourselves a diverse country there's a lot of still issues um, <laughs> and as there is in the United States but there, she's gonna be exposed to a lot of different cultures and and I think that's yeah. to me that is her gun should be her culture is the Canadian culture right like a mm. that is it's an evolving it's evolving culture for me right
1: um, my husband is part white part Punjabi mm. so our kids are like really you know mixed and yeah. there's just so many and I think what's cool about it is like okay so on on Qasim's mom's side they're related to Thomas Jefferson okay and <laughs> I just get a kick out of the fact that my like little Palestinian babies yeah. are related to Thomas yeah. Jefferson yeah. that's so cool and so like some of the things that in like um um their grandfathers yeah. well their great-grandfather Qasim's grandfather he was a general in the Pakistani army and he okay. started in like like a village, you know, like a tiny little, like mud hut village. And he worked his way up and he had this like compound and all these servants. And like, he was just like, and he, and he like brought like Christians and Muslims and Sikhs like all together. It was really, really cool. Um, and, uh, I'm like, look at like the shoulders that you're standing on you know, and my family was like all their like writers and freedom fighters. And and, like, and I'm like this, like, for me, that's such a big part of the culture is because like, you know, if if you are a Pakistani general or a Palestinian freedom fighter, you're an amazing individual, but it was rooted. Like you're that person because of your culture. So, um, I'm like, these are the shoulders and these these giants that you get to stand on. And Thomas Jefferson, for God's sake, like that one's just the coolest. Mm. And like, I think like to honor them like we should just know who they are and know that that's in our blood and be really proud of it. Um, so that's something that like it just gets intertwined. The individual and the culture mm. sort of become like a bit of one in the same in that regard. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just I, think it's really cool for my kids. I,
0: I love that, and I agree. I hundred percent agree with that. And you're right. I, I guess I, I do want my daughter to to know lineage and to understand their stories and i guess as part of yeah. that the cultural the, the cultural aspects do inter, get doing get intertwined and i think that's amazing um yeah. it's just i don't know it's just the other you just don't want
1: it to control you that's i don't thing. want to
0: control me and then there's a lot of just like norms and things that i'm just some, always resistant to i'm not someone who yeah. follows a, like well i shouldn't say i shouldn't say i don't follow old norms but i mean i just i don't prescribe by them all the time and i don't want her to feel it. like that way too so
1: yeah, I was always the black sheep in the family because I would question it or, like, do it different or not do it at all, and they'd be, like... Um, but it made me happy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I We always ask two questions to our guests, but I, I wanted just one more time... Um, if there if you could sum up, like... I don't know if there's a way to do this, but if there were, like, three things that dads, future dads or, or new dads um, could keep in mind or things that they could do... support their partners what are those what are those things that come to come to the top for you
1: okay so we need to know dads need to know the difference between like baby blues which is this is all technical stuff i'm not trying to be flowery here there's baby blues which i'm sure you understand it's when your mom the mom first is has the baby and you feel all those emotions you're crying all the time your body feels terrible everything's heavy your breasts hurt like it's all that just like really just hard stuff and that should last a few weeks If it doesn't, and it goes longer than that, you need to question it. You need to question Mm it um, and ask, like you need to like really ask her what's going on. And it's okay if it's uncomfortable and it's okay if it's like, hey, is there any chance that right now you're dealing with symptoms of postpartum depression or something similar to it? You know, it doesn't have to be like full blown, you know, just, but it, it, it could be that there's some things that are lingering that need to be addressed. Sometimes just talking about it is good. Sometimes just going to therapy is good. Sometimes you need to see a doctor about it. Um, And it's just not something that we should be ashamed of. And I think a lot of us just sort of take it on that mental health depression is still a thing that's like, it's uncomfortable to say I'm depressed and the feelings that come along with it. Do you know how hard it was for me to say I'm lonely? Mm -hmm. That was so hard to say. Those two words put together are so uncomfortable. So, um, creating a safe space for her to like to, to say how she's really feeling and really genuinely ask like, what can I do for you right now to make things better in the moment which is important like if she needs to get away from the baby you need to make that happen right away um, and just give her that space that she's asking for and then sort of an overarching long-term like what can we do to make to make you better and who can we see and who can we talk to and just take it very very seriously because this is if it's gone further than a few weeks you're kind of you're past the baby blues and you're you're falling into the hole and it's really hard to get out of the hole
0: that's great when you said uh it was hard for you to say i'm lonely just tell me a little bit more about that
1: um was working late hours this was when i had ronan so my second baby it's a lot harder to leave the house with two babies so i just stopped i just didn't go places Mm. and i isolated myself Mm. and i was lonely and then costume was working really late and I, I was alone and I was sad and he, he kept trying to like, he's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So he was like, look, you just need to go out and you need to do this and maybe you could have this kind of job and then you'll be better and everything. And so finally I like I listened to him talk and then I just got really sad and I was like, Qasim, it's none of that. I'm just, I'm lonely, mm-hmm. I'm alone. And then that was when he just was like, oh, I'm not here for you and I'm the only person that can be and I'm not doing that. So his presence, like just constant presence was really helpful.
0: And this would have been, with your second anyways, this would have been still pre-COVID?
1: Yeah, Yeah. thank God. Oh,
0: goodness. I know. I I can't imagine. There's going to be a lot of new books written for all those COVID moms. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Okay, Uh, are you okay if we pivot to the last two questions? Yeah, let's do it. Um so question one is um dead or alive, who would be five people you would wanna have dinner with? And I mean if you want to have them together, great if you want to have them individually, happy <laughs> to hear about that. And then Kyle sometimes adds in what meal uh you think oh, would be I there. Did, okay. But that's okay. That's uh, that's an ad lib <laughs> one, so yeah.
1: Um okay, the first person that came to mind was Cleopatra. Okay. She spoke nine languages. She did was she? like yeah oh i did not know that she was running interference between like the egyptians and the romans and like she was such a big powerful player and Mm. i am always been really curious if like because my initial thought was like oh my gosh she's a woman and she did all these things Mm. but i actually think that like the women were perceived differently in that time period in that empire so it probably I, i don't know like is it just not a big deal that she was a woman or I don't, I'm just like just so curious and she was just this huge power player hanging out with the likes totally of the agree. Roman Empire, the leaders of the Roman Empire. And I just think that she must have been this, like this powerhouse of a human being. Um, I'd lo- I would have loved That's to. That's a cool one, yeah. Yeah, um, Gandhi. Mm-hmm. So I was, a, uh, my major was international human rights. Mm-hmm. So Gandhi is one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I love about him the most is um, he, like he had a really bad temper that he had a hard time keeping in check and mm. it just humanized him so much for me. And then like his his dedication to his cause. Like he that he would walk like miles and miles and miles and miles and mm. miles just to sift his own salt from the ocean. People don't people don't do that. Like you give up so easily and yeah. he just refused to give up and he was so dedicated that he made his own clothes and you know because he just didn't want anything from the British Empire and I just think that he's so He's like an extremist in the most beautiful ways, you know, That's and true. he just held so fast to his beliefs that he didn't waver because it was easy, and I just think that he's such a special person.
0: Have you have you been to India before? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I mean, there obviously there's a lot of places, uh, you know, the, where the salt marches and a lot of my family was around that area and really yeah. So I mean, you you can go to a lot of those places and it's pretty neat, and they have a lot of different exhibits and yeah. Oh no way! That's yeah. so cool. and obviously I'm so glad. obviously in Delhi they have this. Um the place where he was assassinated and then they have his memorial, um where they cremated his body and all that kind of stuff. So there's there are a lot of different places. That'd be cool to see. Yeah.
1: That'd be really cool. Um my third was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm. I love space. I love space. I love space. And I can listen to him talk all day. I rewatch Cosmos so much (laughs) because I just think he's so cool. Um yeah he, I'm a huge fan of him I love his voice I love how passionate he is about space and um I'm just in awe of space yeah. and for him to like the way he he talks about it huge crush
0: big time Kyle and I've had this conversation on the podcast of what space versus the ocean like what's more fascinating and and so he, he's all but he he's on the ocean side I'm on the space side but it sounds like really yeah it sounds like you'd be maybe more on the space side
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. mm-hmm. I'm, like, really afraid of the sea. Mm. I, like, there's so much that we don't know. And, like, space is not empty, but <laughs> the sea is, like, full of these creatures who, like, make their own lights. Yeah. Like, that's insane. That's just, like, I'm, like, respect the sea. Leave it yeah, alone. <laughs> yeah. I think
0: that's what fascinates him is that there is – you know that these things exist, and they're potentially they're, – they obviously are more accessible than something that's yeah. so far out there that you will just – never gonna see in our lifetime so he's like yeah it's cool but just i can't reach out to it like i could potentially with the ocean so no
1: that's a really cool argument that would be a fun one to be involved in um my fourth was lin-manuel miranda Mm -hmm. um so i'm obsessed with hamilton have you seen it I saw, well, I've seen the Disney one a lot. Okay. I can actually like do the dance moves with you if you want. <laughs> um, and then I, I, did get to see not his performance, but I did go to New York last year and I saw, okay. I saw it on Broadway. Okay. Um, the thing that I love about Lynn is his discipline.
0: Hmm.
1: He spent a year working on a year each on the first two songs of the show. And I love people I'm so attracted to people who are like really hyper focused and really disciplined and just like understand that what they're doing is so important that nothing else matters and and then he wrote this like have you seen it
0: no but you know what it's coming to Edmonton uh very soon so um yeah I'm so
1: happy for you um he wrote I have something to tell you about Edmonton in a little bit um, he wrote such a smart, smart play, like you're going to watch a, 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 a cat. One of them is called the cabinet battle. There's two cabinet battles where you just listen to Thomas Jefferson and, um, um, Alexander Hamilton fight over finances. Mm. That should be very boring, yeah. but it's not, <laughs> it's so good. And so I'm just like really amazed by how smart he is and how talented he is and how he can take something like financial debt of, of the colonies and turn it into something that's like riveting. Mm and how disciplined he was the entire time doing it i don't know i just like i just like you want to be in a room with people that are smarter than you for sure you know and i just i just think that would just be blown away if well, I met
0: a lot him. of similarities yeah. i mean you talk about gandhi and him being incredibly disciplined for his cause and and disciplined to the point that sometimes where, probably did some damage to a few people but nevertheless it uh you know it allowed him to move forward with a lot of things that he believed in and I, I, I don't really see some connection there for for those two
1: i didn't realize that until you yeah. said that i wonder if i wow okay <laughs> I, I asked
0: this question because i found that in, in, everybody i talked to there's some sort of connection between the five sometimes there's some separation but it kind of says something about the person themselves oh. um that's that's what i've been finding when i've been asking all my guests this question and my friends these questions so I, that's why i love hearing people's answers because
1: this is a good personality test. like forget Enneagram. <laughs> this is wow, okay.
0: Who's um, five? And my last
1: one is is uh, J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. who wrote Harry Potter.
0: Yeah, I haven't read the books as you know, so okay. yeah but
1: they they're, they're works of art. they're like real real good okay. literature
0: right.
1: and um, I love the world that she made. I love how creative she was and like I'm a, as a writer, it almost depresses me that I will never be as smart as like her Lynn Manuel because I'm like, I, could, I don't think I could ever create, she created worlds and characters and stories that I could only like in subplots that are just so beautiful. And so much of it is, is like, even though it's a fantasy world, so much of it is stuff that you could relate to um, and connect with. And I just, her world's my safe space. Mm-hmm. Her world is like where I go to when I'm sad or I just need to like not be in our world right now because it sucks mm-hmm. or whatever she's just where I go to like when I want to be home mm-hmm. and she created a home for me oh. that I'll just never be able to to like pay her back yeah. for except for I bought a lot of her books so maybe maybe I have paid her back that's
0: pretty sweet do you know if she if she wrote anything before Harry Potter or was that her first
1: that was her first wow. she got rejected like 30 times oh. but the fact that her first book just
0: that's amazing how cool
1: is that I know. I'm so happy for her. Because I
0: was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, this is your first book, Suzanne. You know, you'll work your way there. Yeah. But I guess no. Yeah. That's, uh, this is the end of it. So. No, sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, yeah, tried. Yeah, you tried. Thank um, you. No, those are those are pretty cool five for sure. Would you have them together or, or uh, individually?
1: Wouldn't it be amazing if they were together and then you just like stepped out of the way and watched I th- them? All I think talk? those
0: five. Yes, I 100% would agree. Even just mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, all, all five. Because you had you had Cleopatra, Gandhi, J.K. Rowling, Lynn Manuel, and who was the and Neil, Neil deGrasse DeGre- Tyson? Yeah, I would put them all five. I would agree with you.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. so. But then I just stay out of the way because I'm the dummy, and so I just want to like listen and take it all in. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, okay. Last question. Besides the circle of life, what do you know for sure?
1: That I know nothing. And it's really comforting. And I think it's an age thing. I think the more you grow, the more you realize you don't know shit. And it feels really good. I don't know why. It's like really freeing to be like, you know what? I'm doing my best. And I'm always going to try to be a better person. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to like, I'm not like confident enough or stuck up enough to think that I have all the answers and that I'm always trying to be better and learn more and kind of humble myself enough to be like, I don't know, but I'd love to learn.
0: I love that answer. And, um, I think you have to have your ego in check to be able to give that answer for sure uh that
1: that's hard i have a pretty big ego so it's hard and that's something that i have to admit to myself
0: well i was i was gonna say maybe that you maybe your ego is not that big for you to come up with that answer but uh oh i'm working oh, okay. really hard right. yeah I'm,
1: i think i'm getting better <laughs> but like yeah ego is something i struggle yeah. with and
0: that uh, one i love
1: that your answer i'm curious that was
0: uh what my answer was uh mm-hmm. you know i have i i don't know I think everyone likes to feel validated i think validation is important to everyone i think that that's the truth uh, i think that exists in different ways shapes and forms I, but i think to every every person needs some form of validation
1: rupesh that is so wise oh. i really love that answer well,
0: thanks <laughs> <laughs> uh, i what, what i loved about yours was there was somebody else on our podcast who said it was very simple and she said in a simple way too and i'm not going to do it justice but essentially it's just don't have a fear of dying as soon as you don't have that fear of dying everything becomes easy and comfortable and the way you just said yours as well um I, it just reminded me of that so oh
1: wow yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense i feel like
0: i gotta put these kind of quotes on like our instagram posts like you know everyone does these quotes and i haven't yeah. been a fan of these but i think these are kind of neat so I have to do that
1: yeah some of them are definitely things you should live by or meditate yeah, on.
0: Yeah. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much. I really did uh, enjoy this conversation. I loved getting to know you. I loved getting to hear the story. Uh, and uh, really, the book sounds amazing. And I, it sounds like it's serving a lot of people. And hopefully it continues to do that. And um, thank you for sharing all your words of advice and, and tips in terms of new dads and, and, you know, soon-to-be dads. I think that's going to help a lot of people there. Uh, we'll put all of Suzanne's information in the show notes where you can a link to her book, a link to any of her contacts, um, and encourage you all to check it out. And thank you so much again. I hope you enjoyed yourself as well.
1: It was lovely. Really lovely. Thank you yeah, so much. Sure.
0: Okay, everyone. Thanks. See you again next time.